everyone. Sadly, you will have to uh, bear not having a speaker that is a buff CrossFit trainer. I'm sorry, but that's what New Year's resolutions are for. So maybe by this time next year, I'll get there. Here's hoping. But uh, I'll be honest, I'm not actually that big into New Year's, um, especially New Year's resolutions. Um, I feel kind of bad for New Year's. Honestly, it's often forgotten. It's overshadowed by Christmas. Most people forget what they did for New Year's the next morning. And I just feel bad for it. Because a lot of people, including myself, were cynical about it. Because we're like, what's the point of making a resolution? I know I'm not going to achieve it. And so I looked into the wide world of Twitter to see if other people were with me uh, on being cynical about New Year's. And I found some funny New Year's resolutions for people that weren't taking it that seriously. So I had one guy named Jim. He said, my New Year's resolution is to believe that donuts are good for me. So I guess he just gave up on not eating donuts and is just going to convince himself they're okay. Um, another person said, my New Year's resolution is to spend less time interacting with people and more time on my phone. So I think everyone in America should do the opposite of that this next year. And uh, one guy named Brian, he said, my New Year's resolution is to stop dating supermodels going great already. <laughs> so Brian, I guess, has a hard time with that. And uh, the final one, I think I really, really connected to a lot. And it was my New Year's resolution is to stop being so perfect. So not at all. I'm just kidding. I have a lot of flaws. And so <laughs> I think the reason a lot of people, these people and myself, were cynical about New Year's resolutions is because we don't think they'll actually work. We don't think we'll actually meet them. In fact, I looked into the studies. One study on Business Insider said 80% of people fail by February. And Forbes cited a study that said just 8% of people succeed on their New Year's resolution. So those, that's very low success rate. And so I think that's a, a lot of times why many of us are cynical of these resolutions. I think that's, what I, that's why I am. Um, because the goal of resolutions is ultimately to improve ourselves, to transform ourselves, to grow ourselves. Phrases are often used like, I want to work on me. I want to make me a better me this, this next year. I think a lot of times we doubt that we can actually transform ourselves. We can actually grow ourselves. We can actually develop ourselves. But... I think a lot of times the problem with New Year's resolutions is we're relying too much on our own power, our own will, to succeed and transform ourselves. And I think that there is a greater power, a greater person out there that can help us transform, and his name is Jesus Christ. And when we often think of transformation with, with Jesus and us, we often think of salvation when we first accept Christ as Lord and Savior, and our sins are washed away, and that connection with God is reestablished, and now we become children of God. And that's what we often think of, and justifiably so, is that salvation experience when we think about transformation. But I think oftentimes 
we limit transformation through Jesus to just that moment. And we think that now, you know, it's been years since then, maybe Jesus isn't really transforming, isn't really growing me, isn't really developing me anymore. But I would say that Jesus is not done transforming us. He's not done transforming me, and he's not done transforming you. I don't care if it's been decades or years or maybe just a couple months since you were saved, but I think Jesus still is transforming us. You might say, well, that sounds great, but I need some evidence. And so that's what we're going to look into is two people and how Jesus transformed them even after years of knowing Jesus. So the first person lived about 2,000 years ago, and we'll meet him in Luke chapter 22, if you want to turn there. And then first, we'll meet a guy, and his name is Noah. And I I met Noah, not the Noah of the Bible, but I met this Noah my freshman year of college. And I thought I would like him because I, I got to know this guy, and I found out he's a preacher's kid. And he grew up in the church, and he was going to Bible college to become a minister. So I was like, I'm going to like this guy. He seems great. Like, first time actually interacting with him, I hated the dude. I'm going to be honest. And I'm a big people pleaser, like, oftentimes too much. But I just could not stand this kid. I, I try to like almost everyone, but I could not like him might be saying, well, what was so dislikable about this guy? It was two things. So the first thing was he was very, very judgmental and critical and almost kind of hateful about the dumbest stuff. It would be like we'd be sitting in Bible class, and he'd be like, oh, my gosh, did you hear Shannon mispronounce Helkipokek? Are you kidding me? Like, This girl wants to work in a church? Really? Or it would be like, did you see what Brian retweeted four months ago? That had H-E double hockey sticks in it. Like, are you even a Christian? I don't know. I'm not judging. And so he was just really judgmental and hateful about the smallest things. And what annoyed me so much, why I disliked him, was on the weekends, he would go against everything he claimed, everything he would judge people on, he would go completely the opposite. Like the list of things your mom tells you you shouldn't do, he was doing like the whole list. And like bad. And so I, I, we'd see him on the weekends, you know, he was uh, just everything, uh, like inappropriate relations with girls, um, just getting drunk all the time, lots of drugs and abusing substances. He was just really, really hateful, had terrible friends. And then he'd turn around the next week and would just start judging people again. Uh, And it was just the strangest thing. He had such a high standard for everyone else, and then he would just not follow that standard on the weekends. And it just made me not like the dude at all. You might ask, well, then why did you hang out with the guy if if you didn't like him? Well... He was interested in a girl in my friend group, and I don't know if it's like this at most colleges, but at Bible college, there's a thing called Ring by Spring, where it's some girl's prime directive to get married by spring semester of their freshman year of college. Like, they want an engagement, 
I'm not even kidding. And the first week of orientation, the girls are just like trying to find their future spouse ASAP. And so Noah and this girl were they were they were all in on it. And so he's trying to date this girl. And I thought, you know what? This is a great Christian girl. She's going to reject him and I'll never have to see this guy again. But God had different plans for me and for Noah. So we'll catch up with him later. And so this other guy we're going to meet this morning, his name was Simon Peter. And we'll catch up with him in Luke 22. And so some backstory of what's happening in this passage is Simon Peter has been Jesus' friend for three years. He's been in his friend group called the Disciples. He's been following him around. And right now they're at this feast, and they're all hanging out. It was called Passover, and it was combined with a feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It would almost be like if we combined Thanksgiving and Independence Day, which sounds awesome. And everyone goes to Jerusalem to celebrate these two feasts. And so they're at this. And this is actually the feast where Jesus shows the bread and the cup of juice. And he says, this is going to represent my blood that's going to be spilt for you. And this is going to represent my body that will be broken for you. So he's explaining the communion that we just celebrated. And then he tells them that one of them is going to betray Jesus. So this is a very serious conversation they're having. So you think the disciples would get the clue it's time to be serious. They didn't. In fact, it says they started debating which among them was the greatest. So Jesus Christ just told them he was going to die for them, and one of them was going to betray them, and they decided to start debating who is the greatest. They did not get the clue at all. And so they're doing this debate, and he's saying, no, no, you have it all wrong. Everyone else, all the Gentiles, they see the person that lords over and that rules over. They think that's the greatest. It's actually the servant that's the greatest. And then he goes into verse 31 and starts showing his servant heart. And, he's, and it's Jesus talking to Simon Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. So there's a lot going on right here in this conversation. I think the first thing to see is it's so cool that Jesus prays for his disciples. I think that's so cool. He's, he's telling them, there are forces out there that are against you. That want, He says, sift as wheat. That would almost like say, Satan wants to crush you, but I pray for you. And that is just so cool to know that our Savior prays for his followers. It's just so cool to see. And then he, he goes on to say, I pray that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Peter replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. So at first look, it seems what Peter's saying is valiant. Like it's good what he's saying. But he's not getting it. So Jesus, when he's saying this, 
sin, I pray that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So he's saying, and when you have turned back, implying, listen, Peter, you're still going to fail. You're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to mess up. But when you do, turn back and strengthen your brothers. He's saying, I pray that you won't fail, but you will. You followed me for three years, but you're still going to make mistakes. But when you make those mistakes and turn back to me, then use that to strengthen your brothers. And that's so cool to see that even in our failures and mistakes as followers of Christ, Jesus is using those failures and mistakes because now we can relate to our brothers and sisters who are now going through it and tell them, I have been through it and this is how Jesus got me through it. You see, if, if as soon as we became Christians, we were all perfect, we would have no way to relate to our brothers and sisters in need because we'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never struggled. But, but because we have these struggles and failures, we can say, I've been through that and this is how Jesus brought me through it. But Peter doesn't understand that. He says, no, Lord. I'm ready to do anything. I'm not going to mess up. I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus is like, no, Peter, you're not. In fact, today you will deny me three times. Because it's a lot easier for Peter to say that, that claim in the comfort of feasting with his friends than actually going outside and facing the reality of what that meant. And he would face that reality that day and deny Jesus three times. So we'll go ahead to verse 54 and see what happens when Peter faces that moment. And so in between this, these two events, Jesus is actually arrested and being brought to trial to be crucified. And it says, then seizing him, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know what you're talking about, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. So you can tell he's getting angry, he's getting defiant. In fact, in one account of this, it says he started cursing him. And it says about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept. Bitterly. So Peter is intimidated by a servant girl, which is like the lowest of the low on the social ladder back then. He's so scared to be associated with Jesus, he, he angrily denies it. And then he does it again, and then he does it again. And then Jesus looks him straight in the eye, and he remembers what Jesus had told him. And I cannot imagine what Peter felt in that moment. To have Jesus look you straight in the eye after denying him three times. After just, just earlier that day saying you would go to the death. And I'm sure when Peter went and wept, he thought Jesus will never want anything to do with me again. 
how could Jesus ever use me again? How could Jesus ever want me back again? Because he, I followed him for three years, and yet I just denied him three times in Jesus' greatest moment of need. And I'm sure he thought there was no way Jesus would ever take him back. But you see, Jesus was not done transforming Peter. And he wasn't done transforming my friend Noah either. Noah had known him for years. He was raised in the church and was saved at a young age. And yet his lifestyle was completely opposite of everything God wanted for him. But yet Jesus was not done transforming Noah and he wasn't done transforming Peter. So maybe today you would say, years ago, you know, I got saved or maybe decades ago. But honestly, right now, I'm not following God. You might say, Andrew, you don't know the mistake I've made, the mistakes I've made, the years of mistakes I've made, while claiming to be a follower of Christ, while having a relationship with Jesus. Like, I get that's okay for non-Christians, but I was a Christian when I did that. Like, why would Jesus still want me? Peter denied him three times, and Jesus took him back, because Jesus is never done transforming us. And so, let's turn to when Jesus redeemed Peter. And we, we find that in John chapter 21. So, at this point, Jesus has died on the cross and has been resurrected. And the disciples have seen him twice. And now they're out fishing. They're doing their old thing. This is what a lot of them did before they became disciples. And they see a man on the beach. And they don't recognize him at first. And then in verse 7 of chapter 21, it says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat. Like I can just imagine Peter like butterflying, Michael Phelps in like full clothing. And all the other disciples are just like boating over. They're like, and he's just like, like, he's going for it. And later it says, Jesus tells him to bring the fish up because they're about to have breakfast on the beach, which sounds awesome. And it says, Simon Cl- Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. He was like, I'm going to be the one that drags the net ashore. He is so determined. You can just tell. He wants Jesus to take him back. He wants that relationship again. And Jesus does reinstate him. And it happens in verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And Peter's hurt. He's like, I don't get why Jesus keeps asking me this. He knows I love him. He knows everything. And it's because he's asking him three times, which is exactly the same amount of times that Peter denied ever knowing him. So Jesus is redeeming Peter back into that relationship. 
And he's showing him, even though you denied me three times, I will take you back, even despite of that. Because I'm sure in that denial, when Peter was there weeping at the fire, he thought, Jesus will never, ever take me back. He'll never want me. But right here, Jesus takes him back. And he says, I'm going to use you to feed my sheep. And so, my friend Noah, he too, as he got to know me and my friends, our friend group, we were all Christians, and so we started to get to know him better, and we started being honest with him, and we would tell him, listen, you can't keep going down these paths, you can't keep doing these things, it's not good for you, it's not good for your relationship with God. And he slowly began to cut off those things, it was a long process, but he slowly began starting to talk to God again for the first time in a long time. He began to pray. He began to read the word. He began to cut off those unhealthy relationships, to stop abusing the substances he had done. And, and as that started to occur, occur, he started to doubt if he, if he even deserved having godly friends. He'd often say that. He'd say, I don't even know if I deserve you guys. And he would also doubt if he if he could ever actually work in a church. He said, I don't know if I can work at a church after everything I've done. And as he began to date this girl, he began to doubt if he could ever have a godly relationship. And in fact, one night he told us, he said, I'm going to tell her everything about my life. My whole testimony, I'm going to be honest about everything. And he said, I'm not going to be surprised if she never talks to me again after tonight. And he came back later that night, and he was crying, and he said, I, I just don't understand. He's like, I don't deserve this. He's like, I mean, yes, she, like, cried and was sad about it, but she just accepted me in spite of all of this. And it was such a cool picture to see that Jesus and this girl and all of us as friends just accepted him, even despite all of the mistakes he made while being a Christian, he just had to turn back. And Jesus will always accept us right away, right away. Because Jesus was not done transforming Noah, and he wasn't done transforming Peter. All they had to do was just come back to him and tell Jesus that they loved him. And so you might say, well, what did these people go on to do? You know, Jesus said, Peter, feed my sheep. And they're back in this relationship. But did anything ever come of it? And we catch up with Peter in Acts chapter 2. And see all that he did. And so in Acts chapter 2, Jesus has gone back to heaven. And now the disciples are hanging out. And the Holy Spirit actually comes to them. And it's represented by these tongues of fire. And all of a sudden... They start speaking, being able to speak different languages. It's like this crazy, miraculous thing. And the people around them have no idea how to comprehend it. So the only, only thing that makes sense to them is to say, they were drunk. They're drunk. That's the only thing that makes sense. Nothing else makes sense. That was the best they could come up with. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I've never seen someone that was drunk be able to start speaking Swahili, Mandarin, and Chinese. But I don't know. 
That was the best explanation they had because this was so miraculous. And so it says in verse 14, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. He says, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Like, the Bible does have humor, people. He's like, they can't be drunk, guys. That doesn't make any sense. It's nine in the morning. Like, come on. And he's like, no, let me explain to you why this miraculous thing is happening. It's because of another miracle that happened a couple days ago on the cross at Calvary. And he starts to explain this. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he goes on to give a message to them. And it was the perfect message for that crowd of people, those Jews. And it was powered by the Holy Spirit. This is Peter, the same guy maybe a month, a little bit longer before, had denied ever knowing Jesus. And now he was speaking to thousands of people about what Jesus had done in his life. And it says in verse 40, with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So this guy that said he didn't even know Jesus days earlier, was now saving 3,000 people. 3,000 people were brought to Christ and became children of God because of Peter being transformed by Jesus. And Peter would go on to do even more awesome things. He would travel all over telling people about the gospel because Jesus was not done transforming Peter after three years of knowing him. He was not done transforming him after he denied him three times. He was continuing on and on to transform him. You might ask, so where's this Noah guy now? Um, I'm actually planning his bachelor party, and he's going to get married to that girl in June. And he is, yeah, it's awesome. He's so cool. And he's actually my closest spiritual friend now. Like the guy I very highly dislike. I wouldn't say hate, but... All of a sudden is now my closest friend. And we've prayed together. We've cried together. We've done everything. And he is probably the most passionate person I know about the gospel my age. And it's so crazy to see. It is a complete 180. If you met him two years ago, you wouldn't even know he was the same person. And I think the coolest part about him is he will tell anyone and everyone his story. He's not ashamed to tell him of, of where he's been. But that's not the part he enjoys. The part he enjoys telling is how Jesus took him back and transformed him. And how these friends took him back and this girl took him in. And how he's transformed into where he is now. And it's so cool. Because though Noah had known Jesus for so many years, he still wasn't done transforming and he's not done transforming me and you. You might say, going into this new year, I've known Jesus 45 years. You know, I don't know where there else is there to go in my faith. There's somewhere to go. I'm sure Peter didn't know what he would be doing with his life. I'm sure he didn't think he would travel all over the world spreading the gospel. And so maybe going into this new year, 
You might not that be that big into resolutions. I'm not. I don't think I've ever actually made one. But, or you could really be into them, so maybe just add this to the list. But I was just thinking we could all have a resolution and just a prayer to say, Jesus, I'm so glad you're not done transforming me. And I can't wait to see how you transform my life this next year. So if you guys will pray for me. With me. Uh, dear Jesus, I just thank you for another awesome day you've blessed us with. I thank you for an exciting new year, 2018. I can't wait to see all of the amazing ways that you will transform our lives going into this new year. I pray that we are all open and excited to being transformed. And I pray all of us that realize no matter if it's been decades or years or maybe only a couple months since we were last saved, that you're going to continue working in our lives. You're going to continue to grow us, and you're going to continue to transform our lives. I just thank you for all that you've done for us. I pray all of this in your name. Amen.